energy of a three-hour course is I always come out the end and I'm like, oh, I would have. I was like more energy than a 30 kilometer bike ride trying to follow Rowan. Yo, what's up? This is Demystifying MTB. Today we're talking about coaching and we have a special guest, Hannah, talking about skills coaching. Coaching is like really near and dear to our hearts because we really see Break Ace as fitting into the coaching landscape where we can, we now have like a way to quantify skill in a way and that we can eventually do remote skills coaching. I really think that's the future. Today we're talking about how we got into coaching, uh, specifically me. We didn't actually touch on Rowan, so we'll have to do that in a, another episode. But we also talk about how Hannah got into skills coaching. We, we have some pretty unique stories, I guess, and everyone has their own story of how they got into it and why they continue doing it. And everyone has their own unique styles. And I think the things that make one coach great are different from the things that make another coach great, which is kind of an interesting thing to talk about. And we draw some parallels to things like you know, life coaching or teaching and things like that. So dig into it. Also, don't forget about the gentleman's agreement. Just share this around with your friends so we can keep doing it. Like, it's awesome to see the podcast growing, which is super cool. Share on Instagram or give us a follow on Instagram. We basically just need some reason to keep doing it. And so far, we're keeping doing it because we're getting some really good feedback. So thanks for that. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so today I've brought on someone extra to chat to, Hannah Richardson. Uh is a coach with me at Black Ram MTB here in Perth. Uh, it has a bit of a background in some different places as well. We'll get to that. Probably the best coach in Perth, even though I shouldn't tell everyone that. Definitely the most energetic. Um, starting some cool things with coaching women and having a bit of a brand about getting people doing that. Uh, but also some different sports. Rock climbing, I believe, is the main background. What else is going on with you, Hannah? <laughs> yeah, so I actually started most of my outdoor sport in, in rock climbing. So I still keep dabbling in that. So I'm still a head setter for a rock climbing gym. So do that part time. Um, but yeah, I kind of do an admin job as well and then fell into coaching and uh, mountain bike coaching and absolutely love it. So definitely exploring kind of different realms and where it can go. But at the moment, basically, basing most of the coaching on skills, but looking to see like, can we kind of dive into how like physiology can like impact that? And then kind of like, well, can we do some uh, trail mate, like trail maintenance or, you know, bike maintenance or anything like that and seeing kind of how we can spread more knowledge around the community and empower people. I think that's my favorite thing is just empowering people to love the sports I love. Empowering people, building a community. Mm -hmm. good. This is, it's funny because you have like a, a great coaching attitude. You know, it's like, uh, I wouldn't even know how to explain it because I don't come off this way, I don't think. But it's like, you know, I'm not a G-up person. I'm not the kind of person that could could get anyone fired up to like, uh, I don't know, like if you imagine a general going to battle, like time to G someone up. Don't think that's me. But, you know, maybe like uh, supporting in other ways because I do coaching as well. But I don't see myself being a coach, like, like. So when you say the, yeah, the, you do coaching, but you don't, you don't feel like you're the general sending everyone into battle all hyped up. Do you feel like that's the style of coaching that's personal for you, or is that more because you're doing a bit more of the sort of fitness and workout side? But it's. I, I don't. Like well, I don't know. Has it, their own way of doing things. Maybe everyone just has their own way of doing things. But when when I hear Hannah just do that brief introduction, I'm like, now this is someone I could get behind doing some skills stuff. <laughs> Whereas you want to uh, learn how to ride bike and then dig trails for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I no, think I think this is what I want to dig into a little bit. You say Hannah, you fell into coaching, and then Matt, you're doing coaching your way as well. So I feel like we can dig into a little bit of. How did we get into coaching? What makes sort of a good coach in our minds from what we've learned from the coaching you've done? And I guess for other people out there interested in coaching, what are some sort of some stories that might help them? So, Hannah, how did you fall into coaching? <laughs> Well, my original coaching, so climbing coaching, I fell into because I started working at the gym, um, so rock climbing wall, and part of our program was a kids club, um, which is probably where the high energy comes from that you're seeing them at, is um, I get uh, 10 to 20 kids between the age of 6 and 14 
and keep them engaged for two hours in rock climbing. That sounds um, absolutely fantastic. And that is totally sarcastic. <laughs> it was a challenge, but it was definitely like a really good learning experience because there's so much fear base in, in climbing. Um, and then I think something interesting is how I fell into kind of the mountain biking side of things was my mum saw and went to a few courses and was like this is like have you ever considered this and so just started a conversation went to a few kind of sessions just shadowing and realized that it is amazing coaching adults because um they really want to be there <laughs> so there was a little shift in that change like kids still love it um but it was a very different vibe and so for me i kind of connected right into that really like a little bit smaller groups um and just so much enthusiasm and learning and questions and it challenged me a lot as well which was really cool um which is something i wasn't really super aware would be a part of coaching was to get questions or even hear experiences that would like help me grow and stuff so yeah i fell in love with it really interesting that you say you your mum put you into it like i think that just somewhat shows what do you say you're coming to the mountain biking world with a bit of a different viewpoint yeah i think That's i definitely not the typical approach which i guess going forward like mountain biking's become so popular i think we're going to see a lot more of that that there are a lot of families at the moment that the kids do it because the parents do it that definitely hasn't been the case for most people i think it's an interesting uh side because i was thinking about how i got into it and doing like a bit of thought um and i realized interesting i kind of threw my mom into it so my mom um she's definitely gonna be mad at this but is a little bit on the older side um, and i just went you know what you should come and do this with me and so i took her to one of our downhill parks for the women's festival having never ridden a mountain bike before wait you one. haven't ever ridden one or she hadn't she hadn't ever okay. ridden one before so in hindsight probably not the nicest way i could have introduced her to mountain biking so after that she had a crash and she, i was like hey maybe we get some skills coaching and seeing her from that first experience and how much she grew and loved it and like her talking about the experience definitely helped as well because i think she did a couple of sessions with you rowan and, and she just loved it and seeing the impact coaching had was also something really cool she did some with me but also with sam who again has too much energy i think i've been surrounded by people that just ooze enough energy that i can't not get in super pumped up myself but it's interesting that you i, I think that is a big issue with skills coaching is people see the value for other people but not themselves and i think that's probably applies to you matt i think you only just went for your first skills coaching session ever yeah but i'm sure you've recommended them to other people oh yeah all the time i don't know why i maybe i like come from the era where well skills coaching didn't exist when i started i don't think it existed at all like early 2000s late 90s i don't think it i don't think it existed maybe fitness coaching had just kind of started coming around but we were just of the thought that you just figure it out i don't know ride more and yeah i don't know maybe it was a bit of like at that point, it's not just the skills that sort of was lacking like the actual bike designs yeah. somewhat meant you had to just figure it out yeah there, there was, was like no only one way, way, to, do way to do things yeah like you have a high post and v breaks there's one way to get down this section you know hope for the best really close your eyes and pray yeah yeah but what about you matt so you're obviously different style of coaching we're talking more of the fitness workout training side of coaching what what do you think led you to sort of wanting to help other people and do that training i i just i was racing like a lot that was my identity was i'm a racer and it just didn't really work out so i had to like put off going to uni and all that and i went to uni to study physiology because i had actually developed chronic fatigue through like training myself it was terrible this would, would have been like oh seven i had chronic fatigue i could barely do anything and that lasted for like a year or two and that was around the time that i went back to uni and turned out i was much better at like doing the, the science stuff than i was at being a racer so 
um, it was my teammate at the time, Seamus Powell, who was my first athlete. And he was really good. And this was when Enduro started. And he was like, well, I'm going to transition from XC to Enduro. I was like, I can train you. I had no idea what, like, what I was doing, but I ended up working out really well. He won national championships that year in uh, XC. Uh, he actually in single speed XC and then in uh, elite super D which, which is bef like before enduro was a thing and that kind of that was really fun like helping him to like figure out what to do make a plan I really came at it from the real analytical side because he lived in New York I was a couple hours south of him and we would just like look at power files together and make a plan so it was like really different than I guess that really suited my personality as well, where, you know, more analytical, much more supportive and like collaborative, I guess, instead of like, because I could never see myself being like a G up man and like getting someone real stoked or like a group stoked to do skills. Although I, I have done that before and, you know, I just feel like I'm better suited toward the, the analytical and fitness stuff. But instead you can get there and go, look, your standard deviation over this amount of time span is yeah, well, greater than your average difference of these things and the max peak. And so and my specialty very is actual. Yeah. My specialty is uh, it, interpreting numbers. So that was where I, I think, kind of approached it from. And I think there is, there is a little bit of difference between that kind of long-term relationship where you kind of do coach over a huge period of time. And then I have three hours to kind of get you to love mountain biking, to yeah. feel empowered by these skills and then you're kind of gone. So there is like a different energy because you have time almost to, to G up in a different way because it's a long-term project, which is really cool. Um, and yeah, the, the energy of a three-hour course is, I always come out the end and I'm like, oh, what a, I was like more energy than a 30 kilometer bike ride trying to follow Rowan. <laughs> <laughs> um, you finish yeah. three hours of pumping out energy at people and you're like oh well now i've got free time i should go for a ride and you make it 100 meters in no nah, i'm going for a nap because yep. it exhausts you absolutely exhausts you right? definitely oh the couple of days i've done two back-to-back -back group three-hour clinics is ridiculous like, yeah that is totally fatiguing doing like private sessions one or two people where is that bit more personal I think because that's when you don't need that energy to captivate the whole group is a bit different because that's when the factual stuff can sort of come in. You can be really specific to a group. I think it is an interesting point that there are, you know, we talk about coaching and like, oh, let's get some coaching. And it varies. Like I would say there's almost three distinct types of coach. Sort of they overlap a bit. So you have your skills coach and then you're, so basically a skills instructor and then maybe a like workout and fitness like trainer so like coach that trains you and then a coach more that is you say like a development manager so potentially more of a team lead type coach which i think is a bit of an overlap of both of the other things but if you think of a um like a basketball team or a baseball team or something you have the coach that yeah okay it's a lot about the the training and how to improve but it's also about how to perform at specific events and so for some people the events is all that matters and so you get your sort of your combination of skills and fitness and fitness isn't just about building fitness but about being prepared for the the event but then you have some people that all they care about is building the skills or building the fitness and there isn't that end goal so coaching is pretty varied and also at the same time pretty specific when you go hunting for it yeah let me ask you this um because i see fitness coach coaching as you know because there's a few different words you can use it's like trainer or coach it's like mm, i'm not sure which one it would be because I see it, especially like as you get to the elite level, like the top riders, like on the world cup and that more so when I'm working with them, it's more about like the relationship. Like, do we trust, do we trust each other? Do we, are we at the same level of, of understanding and do, do you trust me to make the right calls that will benefit you in the long term? Because training sucks and like it always feels shit. 
and you're always like uh you're never you know because you're always pushing 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 um so it's it's very much about supporting the person one-on-one -on -one and building that relationship um is do you think that like the skill side is also like that and Rowan, i want to get to like your story too but this is just something that just came to, to mind because i see that as like the the main part of what i do is the relationship i think as i've moved through a couple of different courses it, it is hard you only have three hours to kind of build that rapport and that's where i think having we have a prerequisite course for other courses so that's a nice way to kind of have a little bit more time to build but we started doing like um a rock one and it, it is quite you want them to trust you and you've got to demonstrate and but you don't have the time as much to kind of build like they don't get to see you ride they don't get to kind of trust that kind of you know what you're doing a lot of them may have never met me before so it's definitely challenging so i do a lot of from an outdoor kind of ed background of like it's all challenged by choice so i definitely make sure that i spend a lot of my sessions saying you don't have to do this this is about learning and we've got different zones kind of you're in your comfort zone you're in the learning zone and then you've got the fear zone and we don't want to be there so you have to communicate with me but it is hard when you don't know someone to to create that and that's where i think long-term coaching or like maybe even repeat sessions is a really good benefit if you're trying to tackle something that's more fear-based just because you do build that rapport and that relationship um and with skills especially when they become more advanced and you're pushing it is nice to know that either the instructor does kind of they can demonstrate is a big thing but also that they're not pushing to make you do that that they can still step back and be like if you don't feel ready that's okay um but I do think it's harder in the skills side to build the trust um, and why there is a huge benefit to having a slightly longer term coach or maybe repeating with a coach you find who is someone you can really gel with. Yeah, so that building the trust is definitely there, even at the shorter stage. But obviously, to really develop more, you need more of that trust to start really changing the way you do things. But I'd say, yeah, being along to your sessions, Hannah, like, there's definitely, yeah, you build trust very quickly. And so, and it, it's not necessarily, a, oh, trust me, just hurdle down this rock garden. It's trust me, spend the time doing what we're talking about is also part of it. Because like you say, man, it's not sometimes like it's, oh, this is awful. Like I've, I'm not enjoying this at all. But part of it's also, hey, like take it easy today. You know, it's, trust me, like, we do need to do the simple things. And like, yeah, for the skills, that's the same. It's like, trust me, just work on your track stands. It's like, we don't need to go hurtling down the rocks. And it's not about, oh, trust me, we're not going to get injured. It's, trust me, you're going to get better if you follow the process. And so, yeah, I think it's when you say, like, trainer versus coach and then instructor versus coach, I consider it a lot like the... Uh, like manager versus leader. Like you can go in and you can instruct people how to ride a bike and you can train people in like telling them, you know, boot camp style, push harder, push harder. But if you do that 100% of the time, there's a limit to that relationship. And because that relationship's limited, then the actual say development will be limited. But if you come in a bit more as a leader, it's like, well, you know, you might actually be better at this than me, but I'm here to get the best out of you. And we can find out what that is the more we work together and just by sharing some knowledge and like reacting to what you have to say to me is very much. And for some people, they need a manager. Some people, it's a leader. Like a lot of people do lack some discipline and a relationship can't just be, you know, totally about, oh, let me know what you want. The relationship's like, well, okay, I can see you just need to be told what to do. That's like the least fun way to do it is to just tell someone what to do. <laughs> it's like way more fun when like we can come to consensus together. And th th that's like every aspect of life is way more fun. Like every aspect. Because um, I've had clients where it's just like they just kind of do the plan or don't do the plan or and i don't really hear from them it's like well 
you're paying me every month to do this. And like, I look at your training peaks and there's nothing in there. And I, I don't know what, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? Um, it's much more fun with that dialogue. Is that I think... you need to be more of that general hyping everyone up? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> battle. <laughs> Although it is something really cool. And I think it's a shift that's happened maybe in kind of the last couple of years is that real shift that coaching isn't just always result-based, that there's a lot more to kind of forming that relationship and talking about like all the aspects of writing which is, you know, the mental side of it and how to deal with like maybe not getting the achievement you want or the struggle of getting up at 4 a.m. and doing a two-hour bike ride or all those good things and starting to understand that that can all be facilitated by a coach. Um, and maybe like we obviously not from a mental health, there's always professionals and people you can reach out to or get to support those conversations. But just being able to like form that relationship and be like it's just not as simple as kind of you're going to go like, I'm going to send you a plan, kind of like you're saying that I'm going to send you a plan of these are the rides and hopefully you do them. Hopefully you don't. But having a chat, how did that go? What did it feel like today? Um, and I think that's a really powerful tool that I'm seeing kind of come into things. I'm really like enjoying that it is so much more now than just get on your bike and do some riding. It's a whole big picture of like almost like it's a whole physiology from the brain to being on the bike. That's yeah, a really cool growth. Yeah, nice. Yeah, how, how'd you why, get in? So you're talking about like wanting to pull in some physiology, you know, sort of exposing people to different ideas and information. Is that where this comes from? This idea of like, well, you're only going to get so much coming and being told how to ride a bike. This this might be the tangent. <laughs> yeah, <That's> absolutely. <laughs> so my like one of the things I'm super interested in and you know, definitely set me off now is I love the idea that in the last couple of years, we've really started to realize that every person needs an individualized plan. And women have a really interesting kind of cycle of hormones that I mean, our body do different things and our brain does different things. And so there's times where we just have to change how we, if we say something like the gym, we have to either have a super heavy load and we feel like a beast one week. And then the next week it might be like, actually, you need to halve the load and just increase like how much you do. And that kind of is like this really cool idea of that suddenly is impacting how I train. And it's also impacting how my fear works. Um, so if you are a downhill or enduro rider, one day you might fly through the like black rock garden and be an absolute beast. And the exact same garden a week later, you might be like, I'm gonna walk the whole thing. And that actually isn't necessarily you've lost skill. It's actually your brain is just not in the place to deal with the consequences of that. And I love all that kind of thing. And I love the empowerment that can bring to riders to realize that it doesn't, like not every week will look the same and it doesn't mean you're regressing, but it's just learning how to deal with that to still perform at a level you're happy with as you go. That's interesting because, man, I love that stuff actually. Um, I'm not sure if I've ever said this to anyone, but. Or well, it's not that secret, but this was this is why I started my PhD in mountain biking. Is like, how can we see how like your skill execution and your physiology, like how are those actually linked? And that was actually exactly what I wanted to try and figure out. But we went down this breaking tangent because <laughs> there was no tools to like measure that side of it because that was the only way we could measure the skill set. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. And, um, wow, man, there's a lot actually in there because not only is like the way you, you feel going to affect how you execute something, but also like your level of fatigue. And this is where I was coming at it from is like, how tired are you? Like based on what you did five minutes ago and how does that affect how you execute this section of the trail? I think like that's all intertwined. And then obviously uh, women have the complication of change in hormones, which um, I've worked a lot with women, like going through their cycles and pregnant women and like trying to understand how their physiology changes. I don't get it, but like we've also done a lot of work like in the, in the lab when I was at the university looking at that stuff. And I just think that's really interesting because it's really all like intertwined.
don't know how don't know how to like put it all together but that is that is the future is to like understand how to get that because then we can like um because i mean if you just take women in particular and we don't even think about mountain biking we think about other sports let's think about like netball or basketball or something like that when during um certain phases of women's cycle they have a proclivity to joints in their especially in their knees to uh be more elastic so what we see in women in netball and basketball is a lot more ac in injuries and that has to do with um well they believe it has to do with the this extra flex that happens and i think the hormone i think it, the hormones estrogen but that might it might be um the other one that starts with an o which is uh, i can't remember for some reason um more to do with uh childbirth what the heck is it i don't remember but anyway it's yeah. uh it's really interesting because there's a lot to unpack there yeah but you say like you don't get it but i think like doing coaching and like dealing with women you you have to like you get exposed to this idea of you have to adapt and i think it's it's crazy how few men really sort of try to understand the so the the changes that are, we say it's okay, there's different obvious actions that are different, the behaviors that change, but the whole body has an impact. And the more you understand how that happens for women, it's like, okay, men aren't quite the same. It's definitely less intense and less uh, sort of regular, but the hormones go up and down. Like there's times where it's not just, oh, I'm not feeling it. It's, well, my body is just is not that capable today for whatever reason. Well, dude, you were saying it just before, like your your back hurts today. Like, how is that going to affect your riding? How is that going to affect your work? And I know I know for me, because I'm super interested in this, like uh, productivity uh, movement kind of thing. And like, how can we get the most out of ourselves? And I know for me, like, I'll have a banger day one day and the next day is guaranteed to be shit. And it's like pretty similar in riding as well. So like, well, we need to be able to plan for that really is where I'm interested in. It's like, okay, how can I like have a better work-life balance and still like bootstrap the startup with Rowan when we're going to be flat out all the time? I know like a lot of days are going to be shit, but some days are going to be good. And I want to also have a life at some point too. So like, how can we like fit all that in? But yeah, it's, it's crazy how it's all intertwined. I think we're getting this. I'm starting to turn a little bit more philosophical with this chat, but uh, <laughs> this is like, yeah, but you yeah. say more philosoph philosophical, but it sounds like so far we've said that, okay, what we've learned about coaching is you need to have a relationship with the person you're working with. So as the athlete or the coach, and you need to adapt. Like it's not about, okay, this is exactly what we need to do. And so, we know that, yeah, outside influences, whether that be hormones or injury or, you know, it could be anything. Your car breaks down and now you can't actually get to the location that you wanted to. So anything can change. However, on the actual structured side of it, how important is that to the two of you? Is that for long-term coaching? Either way, just this idea of having, like, we start with a structure. We've just said we have to adapt and also we've got to have a relationship, but... I think, especially, I guess, talking from my experience of presenting skills clinics, I've got, like, the three hours. I always, always leave an hour after my clinic for just things to happen and you have to kind of be prepared for that. I definitely go like, okay, these are the skills I want to hit. These are the trails I'm planning to hit. But on the day you can have people might be late. You might have a mechanical trails might be closed. There might be like some type of surprise that's going on. So you do have to adapt either to how the, the group are going. Maybe the physiology of the group is like super fast and you're like, I'm writing more K's than I was expecting, or it might not be. And they just want to take it a bit slower and just adapting to that or adapting, you know, okay, someone's rolled up late and they have a puncture. That person is going to have to have a 
kind of cool off period to let their brain and body and nervous system calm down before I throw them in the deep end. So just giving that little bit of space and, and adjusting. Um, but I do like having my session plans so that I at least know what I kind of got to cover. Um, so I guess that's from the skills side. Yes, and knowing that even if it's just something as simple as this group is slower, this one person, you know, you're doing a private and it's like, wow, they ride fast, so we need to cover more ground. Like, okay, you've got a plan, but you're never stuck to an actual detailed structure. That's how I am too. I think, like, you need a plan, like, because you're not going to end up somewhere on accident. Well, you, you, you'll end up somewhere on accident, but it's... You're never going to get to where you want without a plan. So, but the problem is, and this is why I don't put too much uh, time into making like uh, huge long plans. If we're thinking, okay, let's go back to fitness. Um, I have some athletes that they want to know six weeks from now what their workout's going to be on Thursday. Like, we can do that. It's not set in stone though. Like, okay, fill out that that training plan. We know what we're going to do at this race whether it's a local race or World Cup, same thing. Uh, but then, like, things have to change along there. Like, something happens, your car breaks down, like, you hurt your toe one day, you hurt your back, like, you have a hard day at work. Something's going to have to change. So, like, even the best laid plans have to change on the fly. And that's, like, where, like, being, uh, I guess, when every time I create a plan, I always have, like, uh, multiple contingencies in my mind which are hard to write down because then they kind of cloud the judgment of what, what you're building at the time. But with multiple, with multiple contingencies, you can kind of see where to go when you need to change on the fly, which is guaranteed. So that's the way I kind of approach those things is, yeah, well, if we need to change it, we can change it here. And we could potentially do this, but eh, that also depends. Yeah, it sounds a lot like with brake ace, we go for a ride and we know exactly where you're breaking down the whole trail and this idea of well, okay you want to get better where how we've got all of these options and so well the idea of having just your key opportunities and then that potentially changes each rundown as you know your focus changes your uh like what you're thinking about ahead changes but we can have all of this data and there's 500 breaking events down a trail and it's like okay i've ridden all day doing all of this now what and so yeah it's this just as you guys are saying that it's like well we've got this tool that is very defined and very structured but the more you're talking it's like actually no this is exactly how we do things we filter out for what applies to you yeah well no. you gotta like oh well think about fitness is like you you could improve let's just think about durations of, and power you can improve your five second power that's cool you'll get better riding hard for five seconds you can improve your one minute power same thing your five minute power same thing 20 minute power same thing okay well wh which the heck one do we focus on today well if you focus on your 20 minute one your five second one's gonna not get as much attention and you know that's cool but um and you can get like lost in the weeds right you're like well i could do a zillion of these things and i still don't know if i'm eating the right food but like and this is where i've i'm really happy with break ace where we took like a, like almost less is more approach we're like uh, you know okay we got all these 500 breaking events which that would be a long downhill by the way if we break for <laughs> 500 times but yeah, I think I tend to break about 14 times on the trail here. <laughs> well, what a what a local trail. I think I've braked like 56 times. Like so yeah, 50 but still like that's way too much information to like go improve 56 sections of the trail. That's ridiculous. So this is like yeah. We got rid of the noise basically that all the other uh the fitness tools give you. So you 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 get your low hanging fruit, which is good. I find I yeah. I think kind of that idea can move through lots of things of we can only focus on a couple of things at a time. And whatever that is, you have to kind of make small and clear. And that's the same kind of in skills instructing as well, taking it kind of away a little bit from coaching is you can throw like 
all of the information so you can do all of the science of how to let's say go off a small drop so a curbside drop you can throw everything at someone they're not going to register at all and so it's that idea of deciding okay this is how i'm going to build up to that and just breaking it into these really bite-sized pieces and i think that's something you can do from all the way of learning how to like mount and dismount a bike all the way up to how do i train for like a major event is just making sure it's really bite-sized and all of that information can be kind of taken, navigated, and then we add a bit more on. And I think that's something I've definitely learned I've had to do um, through skills coaching is how do I even ride a bike and break it in my mind? How do I, those steps come together to then kind of pass that information on as well? So not just get on YouTube and go, oh, next video, oh, next video. <laughs> How to jump, how to jump, how to jump, how to drop. Oh, now I'm dropping. Oh, down corners. Okay. Yeah. This, which I think is definitely pretty standard. People do get a bit of information overload these days where you're like, okay, I want to learn something. What information can I get about learning it? And there is too much information out there if you let yourself get exposed to all of it. Definitely. I was reading this article the other day on the future of sports technology, which obviously i try to stay abreast on that stuff and they were saying how like the future of sports tech is like really simplifying everything like making it as simple as possible um because if you like even garmin i think does it now where garmin will give you like your recovery score or is it just like these crazy scores and to in reality they're not correct but they do give you like a really good like this is it is it like this is the one thing like your recovery is like not good and it's like okay we take into account like all these like metrics from tools that are maybe not super robust but you know it's simple and we we get that one thing that one thing to think about that one thing to focus on um you know it's like if you want to lose weight well don't eat after 9 p.m try that as a start instead of going on like this crazy atkins diet where you and atkins and lettuce and you then you quit that after four weeks and you gain more weight. So yeah, simplifying it and in, in, in the things we can do now, like simple things we can do now. And the other uh, thing that we saw with, with Breakace is uh, our friend Jamie, who we had Jamie on a few episodes ago. He took his partner out and she had Breakace on her bike and he was trying to do the Breakace method, but he had also told her, well, you need to use your front brake more because you're only using your front brake 1% of the time. So the whole time they're doing the Breakace method, which is, you know, is it kind of the next simplest way to like use the tool? She's just thinking, how can I use my front brake more? So it like really clouded the whole session. And she, she's just thinking, how can I use my front brake more? And he, he reflected on that afterwards. And he said, well, I should have just given her some front brake drills. And that would have probably solved a lot of her key opportunities. And we could do that the next time. I thought that was quite interesting. I know there. I think 100% of people should do some front brake drills. <laughs> yeah. If you're a World Cup downhill racer, you should probably still do some front brake drills. It's just we get caught up in habits. So drills are fantastic, but well, front brake drills are so easy. Let me ask you this. Going to your driveway. Because I think Hannah said this before, and I think this is my question to you guys, is, man, with especially with fitness coaching, um, it's super like saturated with ex elite athletes. Whereas like, okay, you're either a coach because you understand what's happening or you're a coach because you were good at one point. And it's almost like since skills coaching so new, I'm just wondering like, what is the value that you think skills coaching can provide from anyone at, for people at the highest level? Like, let's just use that big major challenge. Um, like, can, let's say, downhill racer at the World Cup, can they still learn something from getting a skills session? Absolutely. Well, I think the easiest way to visualize it, or just to recognize it, is to think of pretty much any other sport. Yeah. You know, okay. tennis, golfing, basketball like rowing like pretty much any sport with some money in it teams have coaches and the coaches of the best in the world 
are not the best in the world because the best in the world are already on that team or doing that thing. And part of it is, I think, the, the psychological side, you know, having someone sort of take some of the load off you. You've got less to think about if you've got someone else telling you what to do. And so at that sort of top, top level, you know you need to ride more, but what is riding more? And so I was like, okay, let's, let's do this style of ride. But then on the skills coaching side of it, I think really like riding a mountain bike and how to ride a mountain bike is super simple. The physics of getting your mass down a trail, balancing on top of two wheels is super simple. But once our, our mind and our habits get in there, we don't make it very simple. And I think the best benefit a top-level rider can have of having a coach is just sort of being reminded what the simple things are that can really help. And so downhill especially, like at the time of riding a downhill World Cup race, you can't be thinking. It has to just feel good and you just do it. But what do you need to do needs to already be basically programmed in. And I feel like everyone has their weaknesses, everyone has their strengths, and a coach can really find those weaknesses. And so at a, we say a more beginner level, there's a lot of weaknesses. And so at that case, the coach can help you find the weaknesses that give you the best bang for buck. There's low hanging fruit, usually it's body position or braking. I think between body position and braking, that probably covers 99% of beginner intermediate riders. But then at the top level, there are other like little improvements you can make, but it's still to your weakness. I think from a skill side of things, and I can't speak from an elite level, but bring it maybe down to more of a community level. Those very good riders, maybe people I'm dealing with, mountain bike for fun. Like we go out and we want to try like hard stuff or ride kind of challenging stuff. And we don't always drop it back to the fundamentals. And so something I've really enjoyed about kind of having the prerequisite, which is the fundamentals to then go do jumping or rocks or anything like that, is even people who I can tell are exceptional riders and go out and ride really crazy or like really big features and stuff like that. There's always something that you're just not thinking about because when you're riding those big trails, it is very different kind of riding because it's big features or big rock gardens and there's a lot of fear and risk and stuff like that. And they come back and they're like, oh, like I just haven't worked on that really simple angulation and it's like something that they're like oh it just feels better and it's a tiny tiny change and something you might not have noticed riding kind of faster or bigger or anything like that but actually translates really well into kind of their riding so I think there's always a small kind of tiny minute movement that just can suddenly click and you're like oh I haven't been doing that and it feels great um, and they're things that sometimes we don't slow because for me I live an hour from the trails I get out there I want to spend my two hours kind of just go, 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 ride, ride, ride. And then I come back. I don't always give myself space to pause and think about kind of small techniques and ways I can change. Um, but then when I do, they pay off. And I'm you like, mean oh. for you personally? Yeah, for me personally. Yeah. yeah. I have that problem too is like I just go and ride and like just literally I don't think about anything. My brain shuts off. Which nothing. Child like nothing, go nothing going on here. <laughs> like I don't even think about where to go because that's autopilot. But uh, <laughs> I just write the same stuff. But yeah, it's like, I, then I get to the bottom, like, damn, I should have, I look at my key opportunities. Like, ah, it's a bloody same one as last time. I need to like actually think about like keeping my heels down, which is what I told myself before I left the house. <laughs> like, <laughs> how, how do you get around that? You know, like, that's a hard one. Yeah. I've got a side question for you based on that though, Hannah. Would you say, or how much do you think the more advanced the rider is, the more they appreciate the fundamental skills sessions. I think it's two extremes. I think the people who kind of maybe don't have habits or haven't had any and are quite new to the bike, you can see how much they kind of take it all in. It's almost a little overwhelming, but they absolutely love it. And then there's kind of the middle ground where people will take like a couple of things away and they're still really, like, they're really engaged and 
take a bit away, but it's not the whole thing. But I do find some of those really elite writers, or the higher end writers I've had an opportunity to write with, really do, it's usually one or two things, but they really do appreciate it. Um, and they're really engaged. Sometimes they ask the questions that I'm like, that's too far in the physiology, I'm not sure. <laughs> but they, whatever it is that's connected with them, they really appreciate it. And you can tell it means a lot because I guess for them, they love riding. You can always, like everyone loves riding their bike. And so when you suddenly have this thing that empowers you, it definitely is something um, that you can tell they've really taken a lot of value in. I guess that's a trick for you is to find out like what specific thing is going to empower that specific person. Because yeah. I guess you wouldn't know like heading into it. And yeah. it could be different for everyone. And so you have like a couple hours to figure out what that thing is. And all, all, yeah. all you really need though is like one one small thing that can make a huge difference. Yeah. Although it's not as complicated as you make it sound, Matt. Oh, okay. I say come on, you guys, you guys every single person <laughs> that has come for a private session or multiple sessions, the first time we've got a couple of hours together, it basically ends up being those exact same fundamental skills that are covered in our prerequisite course for all of our group clinics. I have not had anyone yet that that hasn't been the case for. So I think the big benefit that people get coming along to this private session is like, okay, customize something for me. I'm like, sorry, spoiler. It's not custom for you. It's actually everyone needs the same fundamentals. But the reasoning for those fundamentals to get your motivation, I think the motivation to actually work on the things that work for you is the big benefit that you get out of coming along to a skill session because you see what works. Whereas if you were doing it by yourself, just like, okay, I'm going to go practice some things, you do what you're doing and you don't have a, a why. You don't know why this one simple thing is actually going to help something else. So I get a lot of people coming along that want to, like, I want to jump, I want to do drops. I was like, well, if you want to do drops, you just do this. And it's exactly what we're doing on flat ground. But once you get used to it, once this becomes programmed in as just I am stable on the bike, like I said, the physics is actually reasonably simple from a from a high level. Riding a bike is it's like riding a bike. You learn how to do it and you just know how to do it. But obviously there's a lot of extra concerns hurtling down a mountain. But yeah, it's this it's not that complicated. Like anyone I feel like wanting to be a coach. It's harder, I would say, for an expert or ex-pro to become a good coach than it is for someone who's still learning how to ride to become a good coach. Because the how to associate what is important with what you need to do is, I think, the biggest part of, of what we're doing. How to explain it to people, how to break it down. Whereas if you get to a level, if you've been riding your entire life, it's a bit of a struggle to remember what actually were the steps to get better? Well, this is the problem we see with um, professional, especially endurance athletes coming into the sports fitness coaching. They like don't know what it's like to have only two days a week to train because they're used to training 30 hours a week or you know spending 30 hours a week on the bike. Oh man, like so that's that's kind of that's kind of an issue as well. Yeah. But they quickly learn, I think. They quickly yeah. learn that, especially based on feedback. You need they need to really rely on that feedback, I think, from the the athletes. Yeah, it's definitely to... a big difference. Like, does doesn't have to be a pro, but just someone who is a lifetime athlete. This, like, if you've spent your whole life doing training of some sort, you're a very different beast than someone who, even you know, you might have played a bunch of sports over the years but you've, you're on and off and you've never really committed any time to staying sort of active in a I say sort of with some training it's a very different level to try and improve from you might yeah. be just as capable as someone else who has been doing this forever but just sort of has let their fitness go down and it's the same for skills if you're someone who you know grew up on a bike, 
spent a bunch of time mucking around, maybe commuted. So you've just always been on a bike, but you're limited a bit by what you know and what you've done. You're still going to have it easier than someone who has just started riding. And okay, you can go and ride trails at the same speed, but just that exposure and what your your brain and your body sort of already knows and we're already prepared for. So it's definitely yeah. something you have to recognize with each individual person. I, th I often wonder if this is why like the gravity side of mountain biking's gotten more popular lately. Cause it's like, it, man, it, I've, the problem with fitness is you're right. Like it starts when you're young cause you build those mitochondria. It doesn't matter what sport you, you do. Like you have more mitochondria and more capillaries to transport oxygen. That's it. And like some people, they could start training and they could train for 20 years and they wouldn't be as good as me. And like, that's not to say that I'm anything special. It's just that like, I don't train. I did train, but I don't anymore. And like, they could spend 20 years training and, and like, yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate for someone who is really trying really hard. And the same goes for, you know, if there's someone expert, they're going to be better than any of us. Right. And they just don't need to train, but like skills is different. And like, enduro downhill gravity like yes like there's a lot of processing you have to do with the terrain you need to learn how to do that but i think there's more room to like change who you are starting from where you're at like you can start now and make some major changes would you agree with that hannah yeah completely i think even just seeing like the ages that people enter into the sport is really interesting i don't think there's a lot of sports where people will just kind of the first time you'll ever try netball is a great example. The first time you ever try netball is like a whole, like you get people all the way from 18 to like 70. While in all my experience, I have met people all the way from 18 to 70 who are just starting mountain biking. And I think that's really cool. Um, and it's definitely, I guess my mom is a great example. Um, she's entered in, she's been doing it two years and she's been able to, she has kind of definitely the key struggle, interestingly, is fitness. She has just oh. like, has not been able to build that fitness. Mm. I mean, I can't keep up with Rowan, but <laughs> she, so she's counted that with what I think is a brilliant thing as an e-bike. And I love that because she has been able to develop her skills and can ride quite comfortably down most of the trails I can. But the big thing that she struggles with is the fitness. So we have beautiful sessions um, where she'll be on her e-bike, I'll be on my um, trail bike, and we'll both head up and both ride the same trails. And that's really, really cool because, um, as I said, only been riding two years. Um, so I think that's a really neat part of that kind of gravity side of things. I guess e-bikes are, like, now democratizing that a bit as well because we see it out here in the forest, like, families, grandparents, like, you're at the top of this hill? you know ready to drop in like <laughs> like wow that that wouldn't have happened if you had yeah, to pedal. you've also got that benefit of the e-bikes allowing you to tow your kids up you'll yeah. see a bunch of parents like okay the dad who's the ace rider but he's got the e-bike but yeah it does mean that he can literally pull his kid up and so they can ride down to more laps and it's like okay you might literally get two runs down but that was instead of take an hour to get up the hill and do one lap down. So yeah, technology there is is fantastic. Like a lot of people will say, you know, you don't need an e-bike until like you're slowed down, you get too old, like, <laughs> but everyone's got their own reason. The fact that that, yeah, you say it's democratizing it in terms of it's, it is available to everybody. Do you think there's still e-bike haters? I don't hear about them. <laughs> are there <laughs> i think oh, so yeah really <laughs> what, like what do they say because honestly i don't hear any of it like because there's so many e-bikes in rotorua it's insane i feel left out like i'm the only one on a normal like human driven bike yeah it's silly there's a little bit of like oh it's it's cheating when you get to the top and you're like yeah but i've been like there's so many variables as rowan's talking about as to why someone is using an e-bike and if they're getting to the top and they're having fun for most of us, this is a hobby. Like we're not racing. <laughs> like we're here to have fun and have a great time. And I, I think sometimes we can forget that. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're great. And it's I like cheating them. in a hobby. It's like, yeah. is that even possible? <laughs> like we're literally yeah, you have fun. fun. And what you're having more fun. <laughs> I think the environment definitely has an impact, though. So like Australia and New Zealand are both pretty open, but like mm. US especially, there's the places where you just it's illegal to ride an e-bike. Yeah. 
And like that does not help. So that really encourages the e-bike haters. Mm. Just that is unfortunate. Like, well, now it's you see this as a like, well, no, you're not allowed to be here. Yeah, especially because there's so many social justice warriors that are going to tell you if you're they think you're doing something wrong as well. Indeed. But that's I everywhere. I actually wanted to double back for for a tiny second because um, it was interesting when we were talking about kind of elite riders coming into being coaches um, because I almost have the opposite where I would say I, I can ride a bike and I, I feel like I do fairly well. Um, but I really struggled when I entered mountain bike coaching because I was like, well, I'm not the best. And I guess I've I had never raced at that point. So I was like, I don't even know if I'm like sort of good. Um, and it was a really interesting thing for me being like, I can still empower people and teach them the skills and kind of work on those fundamentals without being the best rider ever. I definitely think it does help to be known and, and, and be a very good rider means you can kind of teach a larger variety. But I definitely think if you have like good group management skills and you can keep six people together on a mountain bike trail, and if you can engage and connect with those people in a short period of time and have a bit more skill than them. I think it's just had enough that you're a bit more than them. You can actually make a huge difference to someone riding. And I think if people are kind of erring on not wanting to be a skills instructor or a skills coach because they're not riding at that elite level, I think don't let that stop you because you can still make really positive and beautiful changes without being a phenomenally good rider. Yeah. My, uh, I, I uh, spent 10 years as a, lecturer at the university and my partner's family was all lecturers as well and uh so we've all been academics in academics for a really long time and she always says to me she's like those who can't do teach like and i thought about that what she said and you know she was just kind of joking around because it's something you hear actually those who can't do teach like man that's kind of bullshit like that's totally not true because like what you're doing, okay, so what um, what you're doing, let's say at a university is like you have the tools and maybe sometimes there you do have more knowledge. So you are kind of coming in from a higher level. So maybe it is a little bit easier there, but I think you're totally right um, with that you ha still have a lot to offer. And I think about like the parallel here is like a life coach. Because it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, like we have a bit of a chuckle about a life coach because what the hell do they do? But it's like, okay, they they help you like sort your shit out. And it's like not because they have the most sorted out life. It's because they have the tools to like help you sort your life out. That's kind of how I see it. So I guess I see like, you know, kind of what I do, fitness coaching and teaching more like kind of on the other side but then like maybe life coaching and skills coaching is more like okay what are the tools because the the things that you guys do as skills instructors i don't have those tools so and i could still benefit definitely still benefit from what you guys have to say as skills coaches skills instructors i don't know what you want to be called skills coaches or <laughs> skill instructors <laughs> but i do see like that it's like okay you guys have the tools here now help me use those tools and it, you know it, i guess it is a little bit different than those who can't do teach it's like nah i'm teaching like yeah it's different and it's that thing of like you don't have to like you say those that don't do teach is like but as long as you're bringing value yeah it doesn't actually matter what you can do if someone wants something and you can help them achieve it the actual level that you do that thing doesn't matter and that's yeah life coach is a big one like their value is in their ability to deliver and motivate. Mm -hmm. And that person's life might be in a mess, but it doesn't matter to you because you have that life coach come in, motivate you, pump you up, make you have some clarity and focus and whatever you need. And that value is worth a lot, but doesn't actually matter how that person is at able to like deliver it. So yeah, cause like start of this year, I got super sick, got uh, salmonella, whatever, and it really impacted my fitness and like the amount I could ride after that. Like I just sliced my wrist open at Medina as well. Like all of these things slowed me down. I was like, but that doesn't actually impact the value from coaching. I was like, so yeah, 
I'll still go and I'll race and I definitely not as fast this year because I'm doing all the break case stuff as well. And I just know I haven't been training. And I was like, well, I know what I should be doing, but just do as I say, not as I do. And I could say, because it's someone, anytime you spend enough time doing something, you get better at it. And that's the thing with dealing with someone who's been a coach for a while is, well, at least they've been thinking about it. And so someone who is a sort of at pro level, well, if you're trying to get advice on racing and how to get better at racing, well, that's what they've been doing for a long time. So they'd be able to help you. And I guess the good thing about sort of the ex-pros coming in and doing things is that trust is already there. You know, from the like fitness training side or the skills instruction side, you've got some trust. Like we said that there is already a relationship. You feel like you know the person, even if you've never actually met them and they don't know you, that relationship is there. So that's one big benefit. But how much time have they spent thinking about how to improve someone's ability to pump a roller? You know, it's, it is that thing. You've got to do it a lot and you get better at it. And so, yeah, the, the idea of the, like, the fundamentals that apply to everything means that a lot of skills coaches actually just need to know the fundamentals. And if you are interested in, like, I want to be a coach, I want to give this a try, best way to get involved is definitely, like, do a certification, learn, like, okay, doesn't even matter which certification. It's like learn something you can go, yep, I know that. Sweet, I feel confident. And then just get involved with the club. Like there's always someone who knows less than you. And if you're at the club, there's always people willing to learn because they've they've joined a club, they're doing things, they're on, you know, these events or, you know, they're waiting for someone to give them a hand. Like there's definitely the ability to just get out there and do it and just see like, oh, wow. It's actually cutting things down to the simple stuff is the hard work. It's not the proving that I'm a good enough writer. I think, I think as well, when you join a club, something I found as a skills instructor really powerful for me is having other coaches and other instructors surrounding you. So I would say that Rowan is kind of my coach mentor. So it means that I have a really safe space to be like, Hey, I tried teaching this or I'm thinking of bringing this skill in. Like, is this how you would do it? How does this like explanation feel? And you've just got that connection with someone to be like, even to bounce ideas or to be like, how do you do it? And so joining a club or reaching out to someone to shadow is a really cool way to kind of start to build your confidence in delivering, but also to have someone there just as kind of like a backup to be like, what do you think? Like, does this feel right? Um, and I guess, Matt, is that the same with coaching is, I guess you did kind of um, your your degree and stuff like that. Um, but is it nice to have other coaches that are connect with to ask about session plans? Yeah, definitely. And I've learned a lot from um, my friend, Will, who's a running coach. He's totally separate area, but we learn a lot from each other, like how to to help people build fitness. So, yeah, it's definitely good to have someone to bounce ideas off of for sure. Yeah, as you were saying that, Hannah, I just pictured Matt and his Performance Advantage podcast. There's the plug. Something else yeah. you if you want to get into yeah. more details in the fitness training. But yeah, it's definitely, we're all students. And if you're an instructor, trainer, coach of any sort, and you think you know it all, you're not going to stay a very good teacher for very long. Because, yeah, it's not, it's not about knowing it all about constantly learning how to do a better job of giving that value yeah absolutely like i remember going along and hannah even very first like oh, i've got to do some like sample like practice sessions before leading groups and going on like okay let's see what happens and just getting immersed it's like okay just i'm learning because it's someone else doing something but also just taking that chance to literally be the student just gives you a great chance to learn as well. And so just being accepting of you never know everything, especially because then oh, I say, you always get asked questions and there's always tricky questions, but there's always a great answer, even if it doesn't answer the question you were asked. 
And I think that's the big thing about this relationship we're talking about is, well, there's times where you've just got to go, I don't know. I don't think it matters. So let's stay on topic. I'm going to give you an answer that's actually my version of what we're talking about just because focus. Like, it's not about learning everything. Yeah, that sounds like a good spot to to leave it. <laughs> Cut it off there. Yeah, that, no, that's cool. That's cool. I, that was a good yeah, chat, thanks, actually. We, we covered some I'm, cool I'm stuff. motivated to learn more about both sides of coaching now. <laughs> I just want to go because coaching. I am a student. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was one last thing that kind of you asked, Matt, and we kind of dived into a different thing, is you asked of like, how do you find the balance of when you go out on a ride, when your mind is clear, and then you get to the bottom and you're like, ah, should have healed down. And for me, if it's your hobby and mountain biking is your hobby, don't do it every session. Like, don't learn every session. Just take some sessions to be like, I'm just going to ride my bike and think about nothing. And if it's the worst times I get or the worst quality of riding, who cares? <laughs> And just make sure you get the balance within your week of this week, I'm going to do one session of like, I'm going to work on my mornings and one session, I'm just going to ride my bike. And I think that's really important for people to remember. Totally legitimate. Like even <laughs> if you're totally focused on performance, like I want to get better, every ride you has have fun. a purpose. <laughs> just riding to have fun is a purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why we all do it. <laughs> or to have the brain switch off. Mm. <laughs> yeah, awesome. meditation. Mm. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay. Sweet. Awesome.